This morning I want to um, introduce a special guest reader of our text all the way from Israel. So we're going to go over to Israel and we're going to to read the text today. And we're in Luke chapter 6 if you want to follow along, but this one you can probably watch. And this text is from the top of one of the mountains that may very well have been where Jesus went up to pray. And so um, Pastor Andrew is actually our guest reader, so he'll read that from the top of Israel, um, of, of this mountain in Israel. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. Thank you, Pastor Andrew, for our link to Israel. Not quite sure how he's here this morning, but um, he is. That's our text today, short text, but a powerful text when we begin to look at the example of Christ and the example that Jesus sets for us of prayer. Throughout the week, um, Pastor Andrew and I get a chance to go out to lunch from time to time, and um, it's always an interesting thing when we're deciding where to go because he likes these exotic, spicy places, and I'm as gringo as they come, and, and so... Um, even, even we'll go to Taco Bell, and there's a picture here of my sauce at Taco Bell. <laughs> and, and Pastor Andrew was making fun of me the whole time. That's, that's almost ketchup. That's, um, <laughs> and, and he's putting like the triple spice on, and I think you've burned your taste buds off. I don't know what, what happened there. And, and, and weak sauce is this term that is now actually part of, of cultural, it's a cultural idiom, and weak sauce, in this case, Taco Bell put it on their little mild packet. It means uh, pretty wimpy, pretty, pretty much just a little bit of spice. And, and now this word is used, and you, and you see the title is no weak sauce prayers. And some of you are like, oh, great, Pastor Ron's lost it. This word is now used for anything that's just sort of a shadow of reality, a wimpy thing, something that has no strength, has no power, and it's just sort of there, sort of like mild sauce. Any mild sauce people with me? Ha, you're, you're outnumbered. <laughs> weak sauce, any weak sauce people with me? And so weak sauce on your tacos is great. Weak sauce in your prayers is disastrous. And today we want to look at the example of Jesus and say, how did he work at prayer? How did he get beyond mild, wimpy, bland prayers and actually see the power of God? It's interesting because Jesus is God. The only reason he is praying and Luke is focusing time after time after time on his prayers before every big event, before every big decision, the reason Jesus is praying isn't because he doesn't know the Father, It's not because he's not God, it's because he's setting us an example of what it means to live a spirit-filled life, what it means to walk with God. You know, so many times we settle for those weak prayers. We settle for quick, formulaic prayers that we shoot up, and, and I'm not saying we shouldn't pray throughout the day. Those are great, 
But do we spend time working at prayer, diligent at prayer? Do we even see the need for it? And actually, I think that is the root issue in our prayer lives, is as we sang, do we need God? Do we think that we need God? Understand sort of the background as we come into this and where we've been. If you remember, Jesus has been ministering around Capernaum and more and more crowds have been coming. But with with that popularity came more and more opposition. In the last few weeks, we've seen more um, conflict with the Pharisees. We've seen more attacks. And in fact, if you look at at Luke 6, verse 11, the verse right before this, last, last week's text ended, but they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Other translations say they plotted against Jesus. And so Jesus is coming off some ministry success, but he's coming also knowing that people are plotting to kill him. And he, he knows that he has a decision coming up because he is headed to the cross. That is the trajectory that we see in Luke and we see in the Gospels, and he knows that. He is heading to the cross, so how does he perpetuate his ministry? How does he pick men that are going to continue the ministry? And so he has this opposition. He has the, this decision that is looming. How does he pick apostles? Who does he pick? The crowds are increasing. So what does he do? And so that's the, the context that we come to verse 12 today. And again, it's, it's some simple verses, but I pray that you see the power of them. In verse 12 of Luke chapter 6, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. And the first point in your notes is that Jesus covered his big decisions in prayer. He covered his big decisions in prayer. He bathed them in prayer. This is not just a light three sentence at dinner time saying, please help me choose 12 apostles. And we'll get into that in the next point. But when a decision was coming, when a, a, a change in ministry had to be made or when something was happening, he covered that in prayer. And that's a symbol of saying, I need Christ. I am dependent on Christ. I am seeking, on, on God rather, I am seeking God for guidance. Now, when, when my kids ask me for advice sometimes, there's two different ways they can ask for advice, right? Sometimes they come to me, Dad, how do you do this? And they're off in the next room before I can even answer. They're not really looking for advice. They're not really looking for guidance. Sometimes they come to me, and maybe it's schoolwork, and their books are open. Dad, I am completely lost what to do. Can you help me? And they sit there, and they wait. Then I know they're ready. Then I know they're looking. And, and so we can come to God with those two different extremes in our decision-making, in our seeking of guidance. Are we ready? Are we looking for an answer? Are we waiting to listen? Or is, just, is this just a quick prayer shot up to say that we've prayed and then we go on and do what we want? Prayer, if it's dependent on God, means allowing God to direct the decision. Not coming to him once the decision has been made. He covered this decision as we see in 12 and 13. The big decision is he's about to pray or he's about to pick 12 apostles. 
This is a, 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 an important decision. These men would carry on his work. They would start the church. In fact, in Revelation 21:14, and this is just sort of fun, we know that these 12 men, their names are going to be written on the foundation of the new heaven and new earth. Okay, this is a big decision. And Jesus seeks guidance. Serious prayer legitimately seeks God for guidance as we make decisions. And I say legitimately on purpose there. I know the fill in the blank is guidance, but it legitimately seeks God for guidance. Weak sauce prayer is just looking for God's approval of what we want to do. It's interesting. As we, as we study in Luke and then Acts, as Luke writes Acts, every major decision or crisis is preceded by prayer. Every major decision by Jesus, every decision of the early church, Luke, Luke's records, Luke records is preceded by prayer. Is that us? Is that us? You know, sometimes the joke is, well, okay, the last thing I thought of was prayer. And if we follow Jesus' example, he covered his decisions in prayer. That was the starting point. What important times in our lives do we need to make sure we're covering in prayer? And give me some ideas. Marriage. Who are you going to marry? Job. What was that? Raising your children. I'm not sure anything else has helped my prayer life more. <laughs> moving. <laughs> or, or not moving. <laughs> yeah, where to live. Absolutely. We, we bathe that in prayer. It, it could be anything. Interpersonal issues. Um, jobs. School. Some of you are deciding where to go to school and, and when to go to school. Career. And all these things are first step is to bathe them in prayer. Jesus had this decision. He went up to the mountain to pray. All night, he continued in prayer to God. You know, if I, if I think through, okay, how do I make decisions? How do I include prayer in my decisions? And what is a good decision-making um, rubric or model as a believer? You know, the first place has to be prayer. And, and going to God diligently and saying, God, this is the decision ahead of me. Please reveal your will. Please show me what you want. And then maybe we look at options and we explore all the different options that are available to us. And then the second step is to come back and pray. And then we maybe ask the question, is this biblical? Is, and, and there we start to narrow the options down. Sometimes people come to me and, and say, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if it's God's will if I, if I live with my girlfriend. No, no, it's not. I know that one. Because it doesn't pass, is this biblical? But man, I've heard rationalizations for that one and for things like that. And so what are my options? Prayer, what are my options? Prayer, is this biblical? Then go back and pray some more. Do you get a pattern here? And the third question to ask is, is this wise? Is this wise? And that's where we seek counsel and we start to bring people in and and if we know we're in, and these are, think of them as concentric circles, and we come down, we know that we're biblical now, and so we're not sinning, but now is this wise? It may not be wise for me to quit my job and sell my house and say, we're going to live in my parents' backyard. Surprise. Uh, <laughs> and some of you would say, that's a stupid decision. And, and, if you're giving me godly counsel, you're probably right. 
And so what prayer, what are my options? Prayer, is this biblical? Prayer, is this wise and seeking counsel? And then pray again as you, as you get that input. And the next question is, and, and this you could argue should be the first question as well all along, how will this bring glory to God? You know, will this career choice bring glory to God? How will I use this job that I'm considering as a way to bring glory to God? How will my, my work be a place that the gospel can be shared and I can continue that work? And so that, there's lots more we could talk about that, but that's just four quick questions to think of when we're making decisions. But every one of those needs to have prayer at the foundation. Now, now when I've heard talks on how do you find the will of God, I often have just heard those four questions and I've rarely heard prayer. But prayer should be every step of the way. And not just, not just a, a casual prayer, but deep, hard-working prayer. We see that in Jesus' example. You know, he, he, he's covering big decisions in prayer. Jesus is also coming to times of prayer, and we see this throughout his ministry. Whenever there's opposition, whenever there's just the, the, the press of ministry on him, he would go to prayer and spend time with God. In this case, he's also praying before embarking on a new ministry, expanded ministry with the apostles and with the area. He is bathing everything he is doing in prayer. What an example for us. And so do we cover every decision in prayer? Do we see it as that important? Number two is, I think the most significant point for me and and. It's very simple. Again, Jesus gave significant time and energy to prayer. He prayed hard. He worked at it. In verse 12, in those days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Growing up, I have read this and read this and read this, and my idea is, okay, he took a nice little five-minute stroll, and and he spent some time in prayer. Woohoo! And then I went to Israel the first time, and we get to Mount Arbel, which is, is quite possibly the mountain that he went up to. It fits the area. It's the, the only real mountain in the area, highest mountain in the area. I'm not sure if we, this is Mount Arbel. By our standards, it's not Whitney, okay? But we get out. If you look at the next picture, this is our first time there. There's Pastor Andrew. We get out, and we are going to, they drop us off at the bottom of the mountain. What's up with that? And, and they say, okay, you're going up there. And they take us up this path. And for the next hour and a half, we hike to the top of this mountain. I'm not sure if I have another picture. This is the scene from the top of the mountain. And actually, if you could look around and see all of the Sea of Galilee. In this case, this is looking north to the Mount of Beatitudes, Capernaum, which we've talked about. That's where Jesus was at. And Peter and, and Andrew, James and John. And he, he, he goes up. I think, to this mountain to pray. Could have been another one. There's a mountain behind it. Some people maybe say the Mount of Beatitudes. This one in this story makes the most sense because it says he came down to the plain or down to the Mount of Beatitudes, we think. And and I can remember that first time sitting up there and and we, we had a talk up there and then they gave us 20 minutes to just sit and pray. And I can remember sort of still catching my breath and being a little sweaty, thinking this this actually was a lot of work. Jesus didn't take prayer lightly. He didn't go up there for the view. Did you catch what time of day it was that he prayed? It was nighttime. He went up there 
to get away from ministry, I think, to get away from the crowds, to have some dedicated, uninterrupted time in prayer. And as I sat there, I was convicted of how often do I struggle to carve any time out of my day to pray. Am I willing to go hike a mountain an hour at a time? He was probably in better shape at that point, but am I willing to take that kind of effort for dedicated one-on-one time uninterrupted with God? Jesus was no wheat sauce prayer. This was the real stuff. And this was powerful. He got away alone. He was willing to make sacrifices to pray. The word there for an all night he continued in prayer to God is that it was continued. That's a great uh, translation of there. It was an ongoing prayer. He didn't go up there and pray a couple sentences, fall asleep for a couple hours, and then pray some more. This was dedicated all night to prayer. He was willing to lose sleep to pray, as we all gasp. And we think, I don't know if I could do that. You could if it was important. You could if it was I could if it was important. And Jesus is modeling for us what it means to work at prayer, to give significant time and energy to prayer. Powerful prayer takes dedicated time. This was an all-night prayer vigil. He, um, and, and we can think, well, okay, how do you pray about one thing all night? We do our, our, our paragraph or two, and we're done. But it's interesting because he did pray all night about this and everything that's happening. And in my experience, when I've taken the time to pray, it, it is hard at first. It, I'm not used to it. But as I do, and as I spend time on that one topic, the Holy Spirit starts to bring all kinds of other prayer requests to mind about that topic. All kinds of thoughts about that topic. You know, let's let's say you're praying for a new job. I know most of you in here have have had to find a new job at some point. And and we could just say, Lord God, give me a new job, please. I want it to be for your glory and, and help me with this. And we could leave it at that. But guys, that's a weak sauce prayer. Because we're not dedicated to that. We're not doing the work of prayer. If, if you want to take that and say, okay, I'm going to spend eight hours eight, all night. He would have been eight to ten hours. I'm going to take eight hours and dedicate that in prayer for this situation. And then you can start breaking down, okay, what do I need to pray for? And maybe you start by praying for your former boss and coworkers and pray blessings on them. Pray for God's good for them. Pray that the witness you started there will be carried on by someone else. And just meditate on that and pray on that for a while. Then maybe you pray for God's direction to a new job. And and Lord God, help lead me to a new job and direct me and and help me find the right interviews and help me um, find where to apply. And and you can expand on that and you keep thinking about that and praying for that. Then maybe pray that God would lead you to a job that you could use for His glory and maybe share the gospel and say, God, wherever you send me, help there be opportunities for me to share the gospel in my normal work as people see me and how I work. And then you can pray that God would make you a good worker, that you'd have a good testimony. And do you see how this can just expand? 
once you start something like this, eight hours isn't enough. It just isn't. Maybe then you pray and say, and you just leave your worries and your financial needs at the foot of the cross and say, God, I'm struggling. I am worried every day about how I'm going to provide for my family. I am worried about finances. And, and, and you leave that with, with God. Men, I know for us, jobs and work is part of who we are. And we probably have some identity things and some, some, some struggles with, I am not providing for my family that we need to leave with God. And you start to pray diligently, fervently, with zeal through a situation. Maybe then you, you pray and you ask God, is there anything you're trying to teach me through this? What can I learn through this? And then maybe you pray a hard prayer and say, Lord, reveal in me if there's something I'm not doing that I need to be doing. If there's an attitude I have that you need to purge. Then maybe pray and spend some time praying and asking God, how can I use this time while I'm off for, for the kingdom? How can I use this time for the church? How can I use this time to minister to my neighbors? How can I make this a productive time rather than just a time that, that I'm struggling? I mean, do you see how that could expand? We've taken one issue, one major decision, one crisis in our lives, and you could easily spend all night praying about that. Jesus did. I challenge us, why don't we? And we, we are in a culture where we haven't seen that oftentimes. We haven't experienced that. And so village, we need to buck the trend and say, we're going to start being prayer warriors like We're going to start dedicating because God, we sang how great thou art. Do you believe that him? Do you believe he's able to handle any situation? Absolutely. Do you believe you need him to handle your situation? Oh, that, that steps on the toes a little bit more. A quote I put in your notes. The effort we put into our prayer is directly proportional to how much we think we need God. Catch that? The effort we put into prayer is directly proportional to how much we think we need God. If I have it covered or if I think I'm going to come up with the methods for me to solve whatever crisis I'm in, prayer isn't that important. When I finally come and say, God, I need you. I need you for guidance. I need you to make a good decision. I am lost without you. Then we can get somewhere with prayer. If you take both points one and two together, the situations Jesus was in, that he's giving decisions to God. He's spending significant time and energy. We, we see that Jesus is, is stressing the importance of prayer, of hard prayer, especially before critical decisions. And we saw examples. Jesus prayed at his baptism. He prayed in the wilderness. He prayed before choosing the apostles. He prayed before the cross. And those are just the recorded times. Jesus is modeling necessary vital dependence on God through prayer. If Jesus needed to do that, or if Jesus chose to do that, how much more do we need to follow that example? I love even the, the verse in, 
and depending on your translation, the end of verse 12 is going to be translated differently. It might say he continued in prayer to God. Um, it might, some might say he continued in prayer of God. Um, some will say he continued in prayer with God. And, and the preposition there is, is not your normal preposition, but it's this idea of actually communing with or, or listening and going back and forth with. And so there's this back and forth listening that Jesus is doing that he is in the process of praying, he is conforming his will and his spirit to the Almighty God. And he's listening for that. The question for us this morning is, do we pray hard or do we hardly pray? Think about that in your life. Do we pray hard or do we hardly pray? Susanna Wesley, mother of, of John Wesley and Charles Wesley, she had 19 children. All but 10 died in infancy. She spent one hour each day praying for her children. Carved it out diligently every day, one hour, I'm just going to pray for my kids. In addition, every week she took each child aside for a full hour to discuss spiritual matters. Charles Wesley and John Wesley ended up being used mightily for the Lord in both England and America. Is there any wonder? She, she had all kinds of trials she had crippled children, like, like I said, children dying in infancy. There was debt. They lost homes to fire. She still prayed. And she still prayed for her kids every day. Sometimes it was hard to find a quiet place. And so for a time, she would sit in her kitchen and pull her apron up over her head for that hour. And she'd spend time in prayer. And the children knew, don't disturb mom. And they didn't. John and Charles became powerhouses for the glory of God. John preached to nearly a million people in his day. Delivered the gospel message of salvation to 32,000 people without the use of a microphone. It was cutting out in there, wasn't it? (laughs) He brought revival everywhere he traveled. His brother Charles wrote over 9,000 hymns, many of which are sung in churches today. Did that mom make a difference because she worked at prayer? Yeah. Village, don't take prayer lightly. Work hard at it. I know it's a funny title, but no weak sauce prayers. We go on in the text. Point number three there is then, after Jesus spent this time praying, then Jesus was willing to act Trusting in God's unlikely answer. Then Jesus was willing to act, trusting in God's unlikely answer. And, and I've seen times in my life where I've prayed about something and prayed about it and God's put something on my heart and I'm just not sure. Because I don't have it all in control. And I don't have it all mapped out. And so I'm still paralyzed and I still hesitate to act even though I'm, I'm sure God was saying something. Listen to what Jesus did. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. I need to explain that a little bit. And Pastor Andrew explained it a few weeks ago. The disciples were committed followers of God. But it wasn't just 12. There was a whole crowd of disciples. In fact, later we're going to see him send out 72. And and so out of this crowd that he had been calling people into, now he's going to choose 12 apostles. And the difference between apostles and disciples are apostles means sent one. And the apostles were sent specifically with the authority of Jesus 
to start his work and to proclaim his message. And so the 12 apostles were different from the rest of the disciples in authority and, what, and mission, what they were sent to do. And then we have the list of apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And, and we see several lists of, of apostles throughout the Gospels. And mostly they're the same. Order's a little different sometimes, but interesting, they all have the same four at the beginning, the same four in the middle, and the same four at the end. But sometimes in a little different order. Judas Iscariot is at the end of every list. He was the betrayer. He became a traitor, Luke says. Simon Peter is at the beginning of every list. He was the the de facto leader of the band. But it's interesting, as you look through this, there's a couple notable things. Number one, he chose 12. And Jesus chose 12 as an echo of the 12 tribes of Israel. And, And what he is doing here is he is creating a new community of believers around his mission that will now carry forth his mission to the world. And so we've moved from it being an Israel-centric, an Israel-alone um, faith, to now it is explicitly going to go to the ends of the earth. We could talk a lot about, okay, was he replacing Israel? Was he not? I don't think he was, but I think he was creating a new identity, reconstituting a new people around his mission. But then we go through the list, and quite frankly, these are not the 12 any of us would choose. These were ordinary men. And, and so, number one, he had to, Jesus had to trust to act, and we talked about that, but now he had to trust that God's answer was the right answer, that this was the right group, even though it didn't seem like it. I mean, think about some of these men. Some of these are rough, simple men, not who you'd start a ministry with. There was maybe one or two refined men. Some were administrative, some not so much. Most were poor. But Matthew probably had money embezzled from the people that he's now going to be serving with. These were 12 ordinary men. From the book, 12 Ordinary Men, we read they weren't saints. They weren't scholars. They weren't even religious sages. What is most amazing about the disciples is that Jesus ever selected them at all. Among them, a handful of common fishermen, a hated tax collector, an impulsive political zealot, and a traitor. They were a diverse group. But again, do we trust that God's answer is best? Even when we don't see it line up with what I think should happen. God, you should choose 12 different men. Let's find some really godly men, some skilled leaders. Instead of these ordinary men with all kinds of human issues. Well, those are the kinds of people God chooses because those are the kind of people that will be dependent on Him. And God here chooses this diverse group and He's going to equip them and He's going to raise them up to be the leaders that they need to be. They were very different people. I mean, think about this. You have Matthew or Levi who's the tax collector who's in league with Rome, taking money for Rome, a Roman sympathizer, and you have Simon the Zealot, and zealots would commonly keep a dagger in, the, in their robes and kill a Roman if they were alone. 
because they were the political extremists that said, we hate Rome, we need to get Israel out from under Rome. And God said, choose those two, traveling together in the same room sometimes. These people hated each other. This wasn't just, oh, I like the angels, I like the Dodgers. They hated each other. But God's mission is greater than any interpersonal conflict we might have. He chose these men and they worked together and they did God's work. Man, sometimes we come to church and we might have issues with half a dozen people here. Joe's not here with his Yankees hat. (laughs) There are no issues that two people committed to following God can't get past. Straight up. None. And Jesus proves it. God proves it by who he chooses. You know, a couple of other significant names. I'm not going to go into every name. That's a whole different Bible study. It's, It's fascinating. It's great. You have Judas, son of James. Um, sometimes he was called Jude, but not the one that wrote Jude, not the, the half-brother of Jesus. But in the other lists, you'll see Thaddeus. It's not uncommon for people to have two names. Pastor Andrew talked about that. We see that with Simon Peter. We see that with Matthew and Levi. But if your name was Judas, wouldn't you use your other name after the crucifixion? <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. Some people say, oh, the Bible's wrong. Well, no. It makes a lot of sense. God uses this diverse group, an answer to prayer that seems unlikely, that seems ridiculous. He uses them to found the church and to carry Christianity to the world. We are sitting here today because of the work of those 12 men. Isn't that cool? Those 12 unqualified men that I wouldn't have chosen. See, God uses and equips those he calls, which is great news because that means there's hope for me and there's hope for you. God can use anyone, including the people you don't think he can use right now because he is the one giving the power. I love what Oswald Chambers said as we, we sort of wrap this up. All through history, God has chosen and used nobodies because their unusual dependence on him made possible the unique display of his power and grace. He chose and used somebodies only when they renounced dependence on their natural abilities and resources. I've got to read that again, right? Because it's like, what? What did you just say? All through history, God has chosen and used nobodies because of their unusual dependence on him made possible the unique display of his power and grace. When I'm completely dependent on God, when I need Him, when He works, He gets the glory. And so that's who He wants to use. Because this is about Him and His glory. And and His glory spreading to the ends of the earth. He chose and used somebodies only when they renounced dependence on their natural abilities and resources. And so Jesus took these and they became the inner circle. And He discipled them. Not by by saying, go take a class somewhere. He discipled them by saying, live with me. Let me show you what it means to follow God. Jesus prayed. And he prayed before decisions. He prayed hard, real, significant prayers. And then he acted and he obeyed God.
17 through 19 is, is both a postscript to this and a, uh, an, an introduction to where we're be go- going to be going in the next few weeks. And point number four in your notes is after this extended time of prayer, Jesus was ready for expanded, powerful ministry and people from all over heard the good news. Starting in verse 17, and he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all the crowds sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. And you see, boom, ministry is exploding. I have some pictures here. This is again the top of Mount Arbel that, that I mentioned. And it says he came down to the level area. And so you can just picture, if I can get this on. You can picture coming down here into this plane and even here where we think the Mount of Beatitudes occurred. Um, the, the word for level place there didn't actually mean plain. It meant sort of a clearing, any place where you could get a group of people. And so th- there's a lot of debate. Is the, the sermon that we see here a different sermon from the Sermon on the Mount? Is it the same one? We don't know. I think there's a, you know, a slight possibility it's the same one that we read in Matthew. But Luke here is summarizing it for more of a Gentile audience. But he came down here, and the Mount of Beatitudes is even right here. And, and crowds and people came from all over. Jesus had prayed. He was ready to minister, chosen his apostles, obeyed God. And now God was going to bless this ministry in amazing ways. If you go to the next slide, this is a picture of the Mount of Beatitudes from the Sea of Galilee. So when we think Mount, that's what they called Mount. It's a little hill that you can climb up. And actually, it would have qualified as a, a, a level place in this. So it could have been the same place. Don, next slide. This is a picture from the top of it. Picture Jesus standing just down at the bottom of that clearing. And people in sort of an amphitheater in concentric circles coming up and listening. And you have the 12 that were just chosen right up front and hearing this. And then you have hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people now hearing what Jesus had to say. Man, it gives me chills to think about what God was going to do in this ministry. Jesus comes down from prayer and preaches this sermon. People came from all over. I have a map that, that again, helps us understand that. Tyre and Sidon were up here. People are coming down here. Here's where Capernaum, Mount of Beatitudes is. But it also says people were coming from Judea up. Probably assumed that you had the crowds from Galilee. News of Jesus had spread. He didn't let it go to his head. He was dependent on God in prayer. And we see God do amazing things. The question I asked earlier, do we pray hard or do we hardly pray? Consider the example of Jesus today. and Say, how can I pray like Jesus? One author, Samuel Chadwick, wrote this, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Oh, there's a lot of truth to that. What I'd like to do, and some of you are looking at your watches saying, wow, he's done early today. We're not done. What I'd like to do is put this into practice today and spend some time together as a church family in prayer. 
It's one thing to talk about prayer. It's a whole different thing to do it. And, and, and some of these things we've talked about, the work of prayer, the diligence, the time spent in prayer, that takes practice. That is going to be awkward at first. It takes trying it and doing it and seeing what God does. But what I'd like to do today is pray. And I have some bullet points that I want to pray through. And, and what I'd like to do is stay all together rather than break into groups and just bow our heads. I'm going to put the bullet points up and talk through them as we go. And just people from throughout the congregation pray three or four sentences on that particular issue. Popcorn prayer. And let's say, let's say we believe prayer is important. How will we show that? By doing it. And, and we see throughout the New Testament, there's example of an, after example of the early church praying together of corporate prayer and the power and importance of corporate prayer. It's a key to a healthy church because we are showing as a church our dependence on God. So I'll start us off. We'll start to put the bullet points up. And just right where you're at, try to, try to project so we can hear you. But this is a chance to come in dependence to God and to pray with a, an eye on His glory, on listening to Him, on His work. So will you bow your heads with me today? And let's spend some time praying for village praying for ministry here, praying for decisions that we might need to make, praying that God will direct, and then praying for our own needs. Lord God, we confess that we have not prayed as we should at times. I confess I have not prayed as I should. That I have let comfort and sleep overtake that at times. That I have not seen as much of a need for you at times as I need to. Lord, forgive me. Help us to be a people that so see our need for you that we can't help but pray and want to pray. Lord, I pray now for village that we would be a church after your heart, a church of holiness. We pray that, God. Let's take a few moments in silent prayer now with the same prayer request, but for you and your heart. If there's any sin there, pray that God would reveal it If there's anything that needs to be taken care of and confessed to God, let's just do that right now. Take care of it. Just silently in your seats. Lord, you have promised if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for that promise, God. Now as we continue in corporate prayer, let's pray that discipleship would be part of who we are as a church. We'd be investing in each other and raising up disciples to follow God as well as the the next one, praying that none of us would lose heart as we make disciples, as we reach out to neighbors, friends, and co-workers and family members. We'd like to pray for several of our outreach events coming up or events with an outreach opportunity, the craft fair, Project Touch with our neighborhood, Living Nativity with your neighborhood and, and co-workers. Let's pray for those coming up, that God would use those for His glory and to spread His good news. Let's pray that God will direct us as a church this next year whether that means new ministries or continuing ministries or changing ministries, that he would direct our ministry here and we would be dependent on him for guidance. I'd like to wrap up our time of prayer both with praying for some of our outreach things, Lord. and Pray for each of us. Pray for your window person that you've put on the window, the stick figure, the person you're praying that you would be able to reach for Christ praying that our ministry of village would touch many in Orange County, but then also for our impact around the world. Pray for our missionaries. Just a few people, pray for one of those things as we wrap up. Lord God, thank you for your hand on village. 
our ministries here. Help us to be a praying church that seeks diligently your direction, your will, seeks diligently to have hearts of holiness, to follow you, to disciple others, to follow you. Lord, may we not stray from your will for us. Lord, may you also build in each one of us, help us to be individuals of prayer, individuals willing to work at prayer, to be diligent, to be serious, to carve out intentional time because we need you and are dependent on you. We love you. We praise you. Thank you for your work. In Jesus' name, amen. I send you out today as prayer warriors, not not giving up weak sauce prayers, but diligent, hard prayers. And as you go, what do you need to pray about today? What do you need to leave at the foot of the cross? And let's spend some time doing that.